Welcome to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and I'm proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Every episode of this podcast will bring in a variety of experts to help all writers incorporate more authentic cops, crime, and criminals in their stories. For this episode, Isabella Maldonado joins me in the interrogation room to hopefully clear a few things up. Isabella is an award-winning author, retired police captain, and regularly shares her law enforcement expertise with viewers of the Phoenix NBC affiliate. During her career, she served as a hostage negotiator, department spokesperson, and precinct commander supervising over 150 uh, personnel, which included patrol officers, detectives, specialty units, first-line supervisors, and civilians. Isabella was the first Latina to return the rank of captain in her department, and her last assignment there was the commander of special investigations and forensics. She was selected to attend executive management training at the FBI National Academy in Quantico, and Isabella received commendations for both meritorious service and life-saving awards. Isabella is a past president of the Phoenix Metro chapter of Sisters in Crime, lives in the greater Phoenix area, and writes the Detective Veronda Cruz mystery series, the debut of which won the 2018 Mariposa Award for Best First Book. The second in that series, called Phoenix Burning, received a star review in Publishers Week and Book Riot, declared it among last year's 25 best suspense novels. Her third installment in the series entitled Death Blow, just released on March 8th. Isabella, thank you so much for joining me in Writers on the Beat. Just your resume is so impressive, even before we even get a chance to talk to you. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. And even though we, we've talked a couple of times, I, I mentioned the first time we spoke, but I still so desperately want to just keep calling you Captain. So I'm going to work on that throughout the throughout the interview. <laughs> um, your uh, readers who are who are new to you and new to the uh, the Veranda Cruz series, uh, what do you want them to know about that series and the latest release, Death Blow? Well, um, I I think it's it's set. It sets itself apart because it's set in Phoenix, and um, there aren't a ton of them that are that are set in Phoenix. And I like to capture the Southwest vibe that that's so great about living in um, in Arizona there. And um, the heat almost becomes like another character in the book, so that <laughs> yes. gives it a lot of you know a lot of its own its own difference. And then the other thing is that. Um, it's the story of three families that I wove together, and, and one is um, Detective Cruz's uh, large, loving, sometimes interfering ethnic family, and uh, another one is the um, infamous, notorious crime family that she goes up against, and then finally, there is the police family which, uh, as you know, can be every bit as dysfunctional as any other family at times. Yes. Yes. Um, but then in crisis, they do pull together just like any family does. And so it, it, I really wanted to sort of emphasize that it's three different families and they're all sort of braided together for a real police procedural feel. That sounds uh, pretty fantastic. The, um, the, uh, when you talk about the, the heat as a character, as soon as you mention that, uh, some of my, you know, my first memories on on patrol was the the realization about how much people's behavior changed as soon as the heat index got above that 100 and above 110, and it really is uh, a, a a factor that a lot of people don't think is uh, as legitimate as it is. I'm glad that that you've made those kind of uh, those authentic leaps into the story. Yes, I remember when I when I first came out to Arizona. I'm originally from back east, and when I first moved out here. 
um, and really began to um, appreciate how incredibly intense the heat can get. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody talks about the snow back east and how horrible it is and how hard it is to shovel and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. The heat, good Lord, it's, just, it's oppressive. Sometimes it feels like a blast furnace. And um, so I really did want to, you know, policing is different. Everywhere I've, I've traveled and discovered different things about policing in different parts of the country, each has its own challenges. Mm-hmm. And in the Southwest, it's the heat. And of course, there's, you know, the border obviously presents another kind of law enforcement challenge. And I include both of those in the book. Now, the, in these, uh, this series, um Obviously, homicide is is a, a very popular thing for crime authors to write about, but um, from my perspective, as as a as a cop, it's also one of the most important things. Probably the most important thing that we do is to try to find justice for those victims. Um, there's probably no greater crime and no important victim than than homicides. H- how do you go about conveying the personal responsibility and the weight of these cases to your readers without making them want to? you know, grab a bottle of antidepressants and wash it down with a a tall brown bottle at the end of the book. It it is true. And another thing is because I'm a fiction writer, um, I am extremely sensitive to the fact that I don't want um, people to think that I'm in any way capitalizing on a horrible crime. Mm -hmm. And I'm not. Um, So therefore, I do make it a huge point to show the impact that crime of all kinds, especially homicide, but other kinds of crimes that I describe in my book, because I describe more than just homicide. And um, so I I really want to show the impact that it has on the individual, on the individual's family, and on the community as a whole. And as well, I also go into a great deal of detail about how this impacts the detectives who investigate these cases and um, also within the department itself and how an agency as a whole can be affected by these kinds of cases as well. I really appreciate that message because it's, um, it is a, a, a pull behind the curtain that most people don't get a look at and we're, for a number of reasons, really bad or at least secretive about a lot of those aspects of, of our lives and our organizations. And um, I think that's one of the things that, that we really could do a better job of as cops is uh, really demonstrating and, and letting people share in our humanity. Um, you know, it doesn't necessarily make us weaker or, you know, we don't have to give away tactics to let people know, you know, we're, we're human, but I, I'm glad that you're doing that. Yeah, we've we've all come a long way from the days of Joe Friday and just the fast <laughs> ma'am and um yes. we really have. And and I really do show um the extreme amount of inner torment that, that does go on and with with the characters. And I, I think that that's um it resonates and I get a lot of comments from people who read my book about mm-hmm. um how her personal life is is fascinating to them. Now how do you uh, how do you go about trying to strike a, a balance between the those kind of those three families you talked about, you know, balancing the, the, the scenes with the the crime family that they're investigating on and off, I imagine, and the cop family and, and the personal family um, and and keep those kind of three parts uh, equal or how do you how do you strive for for a balance that that matches reader expectations? 
Well, the, the key is that everything revolves around my protagonist, who is Detective Cruz. She is the linchpin. And everything revolves around her. And so that's really what balances everything because she will go from a scene in the police department and what's going on with the investigation. And then sure enough, the next thing that happens, she's involved in a scene with her family that, that ends up getting involved with you know, in different ways, mm-hmm. um, always at a distance, but somehow they do get involved. And then, um, I write from multiple points of view, so then I will cut to a scene that is taking place in the crime family. So you can, mine are more like thrillers. They're, they're mm. not so much a mystery where it isn't like Sherlock Holmes tries to see who done it. This is more of like a mystery thriller. So um, in this case, you know right up front who the bad guy is. For the most part, you know, there may be some surprises because there may be some ancillary bad guys that that come out of the woodwork. But in general, you know, so therefore you get to kind of be involved in their machinations and you see what they're planning and plotting for for the lead. And and as a reader, it's like, oh, no, here it comes. Ah, you you know what's going on. So in that sense, it's more of building suspense about you know, knowing what's coming and then figuring out how on earth is this, is my character going to get her way out of it. Now I've uh, often heard it said in talking about your, your writing, I've often heard it said that, um, that it only takes about a decade of really hard work to become an overnight success. And Mm -hmm. shared a little bit about your, uh, your writing process and your craft and how, how you, learned to become a, uh, a, an, an author. Would you mind sharing a, a little bit for readers about that and explaining what your decade of hard work has looked like? Sure. Um, it, it did start probably about, <laughs> about 10 years ago. I was on the job at the time, Bill, and uh, I knew I wanted to write. I always wanted to write since I was a kid. Um, I enjoyed law enforcement. I was on my agency for uh, 22 years, a little over 22 years. And, um, but even while I was finishing up my career there, I started the process of learning to write and I wrote my first short story and um, just started trying to figure out kind of what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. And then after I retired, I really threw myself into the process of learning in a way that was the same way I threw myself into the process of climbing the ranks on the department, you know, a lot of studying and hard work and sacrifice. And um, so for, for several years, I studied very hard and, and um, took the time to go to conferences, read tons of reference books, read tons of other other fiction as well, sort of see how the, the great did it, and um, came up with some ideas about how I wanted to do it. And then I test drove myself, and I wrote three short stories and had them all published successfully. And that kind of, after doing that, it was like, okay, I feel like I've honed in on how I want to write this and what my style is and what my voice is. Now I'm ready to try a full-length novel. And so that's when I, I finally buckled down and, and got that manuscript written. But it was, it was a process that took a lot of years because 
creative fiction writing is nothing like police writing. So I had to really go back to basics and really learn how to do that. Yeah, it, it really is. There's, you know, you're, you're definitely writing to some degree a, a story, right? A nonfiction story, hopefully, <laughs> but, but yeah, but they uh, really have uh, almost nothing in common with each other. And I really think if, um, if police departments ever made the recruiting video more accurate to tell people how much time they're going to spend behind a keyboard once they put on a badge, yeah. nobody had yeah. put in for the job. <laughs> it would actually be yeah, a Yeah, there's, there's a lot of writing. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. Is, that is very true. Yeah, the, the more fun you have, the more unusual the case, the, the, the more, uh, you know, one time only in your career things happen, the more time you're going to have to spend writing about it. You know, they they leave that part out except for, you know, probably toward the end of the academy. Um, and it's kind of funny when you, when you talk about writing, one of the things that, that sticks out in my mind is um, when you're doing police writing, you have to boil everything down, you know, and synthesize it and emphasize just spitting out the facts and only like the pertinent mm -hmm. ones as quickly as possible. And um, again, it's, it's like the opposite but what, what happened to me was when I took my, like my first draft of my first novel was so short because mm. it was concise. Yes. <laughs> I was used <laughs> to writing to be concise. Yes. And um, so I, you know, other, I go to conferences all the time. I hear other authors and they're complaining and they're like, oh my gosh, I wrote this monstrosity that's 120,000 words and I had to cut it down to 90,000 and I thought I was going to. And meanwhile, I'm like, okay, I have the, I am the only writer I know that has the opposite problem where I have to like go back and think, you know, I need to elaborate on this. And thank goodness I have excellent yes. editors and they yes. actually put in there and they put those comments. They're like, you know, you might want to, you know, people want to know more about this. Go ahead and, you know, draw it out. And it's a good way to remind me, especially in, in the first book. I'm getting better with each book at, you know, elaborating those kind of things. But it was a, it was a challenge at first not to, um, to be too brief. Yeah, and I think, you know, from writing, you know, a lot of things from, you know, reports or, or fiction, um, we tend to take a lot of things for granted that we just know and have known for so long that we believe it's common knowledge. And occasionally you get something back and it's like, you need to explain this more because I'm not even sure what you're talking about here. <laughs> You know, how, did, how does yeah. this, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I really, and actually one of my, my favorite comments was um, one of my readers said, she's like, I'm confused about the ranks. And she's like, is a sergeant higher than a lieutenant? And I'm thinking, <laughs> wow, okay. I realize, you know, but you're, these are civilians and they're not used to it. And it's like, okay, I really do need to take that into account. And I try not to be overly policey with it but it's it's a police procedural so you know you almost can't avoid a certain amount of that you know and, and hopefully the readers who are reading these kind of stories are ones who like police detective stories you know someone who for example watches a show like law and order would be someone who i'm thinking would like my book now since reports has come up quite a little bit here um well, I have a, a kind of a personal list of pet peeves from when I used to teach report writing and from my field training days. And one of my, a couple of my least favorite things about police reports, my pet peeves, um, a cop would write, I observed the suspect driving down the street. 
um, you know, cops don't observe anything, you know, to me, you know, that's someone like a social scientist observes human behavior. Cops see things happen. We don't observe anything. Um, Mm -hmm. Or, you know, a suspect was wearing a green in color sweater. It's just a green Mm -hmm. sweater. Just a green Mm -hmm. sweater. You sound Mm -hmm. more official. Um, Is there anything you remember from your report writing days that when you'd get a report from a subordinate or a colleague or somebody, you'd be like cringeworthy? Okay, now I'm going to ruin every um, afternoon uh, news uh, or local news show that you watch from here on out. Here it goes. <laughs> um, and it, has, it, it pertains to this exactly. So I, um, at one point, one of my many assignments that I had over the years is I was the, um, I was the commander of uh, public affairs for our department. So it's like a public relations. I was spokesperson, and, but I had a whole team of people. And because it was a large agency that I worked for. So um, I had to train them and then I had to, you know, sort of work with them and everything. Mm -hmm. But I had to get that out of their head because you ever notice when you watch the evening local news and you see the local spokesperson from your police agency, and this doesn't matter where you are in the country, and you'll see the police, police spokesperson talks like that. Yes. And, you know, it says something like, you know, and, and the vehicle rotated 880 degrees, striking the, you know, it's like, oh, my gosh, you know, or the, you know, the officer drew his service weapon and fired, striking the suspect, you know, it's like, oh, my gosh, I had to drill it into their heads, quit talking like that, just say it like a normal person, yes. the officer shot the suspect. You know, it, it depends. We don't always necessarily want to release exactly how many times or any of it depends on what the circumstances of the case the were, yeah. you know, but, but, you know, stop with this police ease that um, somehow it starts in the academy with rookies and report writing, mm-hmm. but then it would keep going all the way up through. And then when I had officers working uh, with me in public relations, they ended up spitting out the same stuff on television. And so I had to forcibly break them of that habit just with a lot of coaching. And I really was, you know, eventually you could get them to where they would talk like normal people, like you and I are talking right now. But now, though, you're going to watch and you're going to see which ones do it and which ones don't. You'll find the more experienced uh, public relations people don't do it. The, The ones that are less experienced tend to even rely more on jargon. So, so that, I was just thinking of a, a, another little fun thing I, I, I have from the cop life um, for the benefit of the audience. Um, cops, we love to make everything an acronym and uh, <laughs> oh. jargon to, you know, sometimes it's just funny. Sometimes it's dark humor, but everything's an uh-huh. acronym. Just like, you know, mm-hmm. it's a serious piece of military equipment. If it's an acronym, you know, it's a serious illness. If yeah. it's a, right. Um, so I'll go first, but my favorite acronym is Muppet, uh-huh. the most useless really? police person ever trained. <laughs> so when we had an, an officer in training or someone who was <laughs> not meeting standards, they became a Muppet, um, most useless police person ever trained. So do you have a favorite cop acronym? Well, yeah, there was one, um, IGMO. It just stood for ignorant moron. <laughs> Igmo. Shorthand. I like it. Yeah. 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 Uh, 
What, uh, having been been retired uh, for a little while, has that changed your uh, your need for research or your research methods, or how do you how do you go about keeping your your writing up to date with what's going on in the in the cop world today? So I definitely definitely have to do lots of research. Um, I can't just rest on my laurels because everything everything changes so quickly, and especially like um, again the last position that I held, as you mentioned, the special investigations and forensics commander, but. That was, I retired a few years back and things have really changed since then. And um, so when I was writing this most recent book, Death Blow, it involved a lot of DNA, specifically familial DNA, which is a new, mm, yes. the science is sort of coming into its own right now. And I wanted to feature, um, I needed to feature some of that in the investigation. And so I what I did was I reached out to the director of a crime lab and I um, asked her to look it over. She very graciously did. As a matter of fact, I thanked her in my acknowledgments because she got back to me and she's like, Oh yeah, things have changed <laughs> since you retired. Now we do this, 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 and this, and you know, this is what we're capable of. And, blah, blah, blah. and I was just like, wow. Um, I was very impressed with um with what they can do but i needed to change some things and i did so that book is very current and up to the minute with what's going on right now of course it'll probably be obsolete in a couple of years but it's good right now um but it also made me extremely impressed with what's going on with uh, police crime labs around the country i mean the technology is incredible but you do need to keep up with it and the very first book in the series uh blood's echo i interviewed a um a uh, retired arson investigator. He had just what? been retired just a couple of months. And um, I needed to do that because, you know, police don't investigate arson. The fire department investigates arson. So I needed to do that. And I, I actually, I thanked him too in the, in the credits. I gave him full acknowledgement for that. But so, yeah, I do need to do that quite a bit. And it's very important. Um, and I try to inter interview individuals as much as possible as opposed to exclusively just um, looking online for information. I try to get it from the people who've been there and done that. So from your experience as in the, on the police side of things, and then also as, a, as an author now reaching back into the police community, um, do you have any, any, uh, any specific recommendations? Everybody tells aspiring authors, right, go, go make friends with a cop. We're, we're mm -hmm. a pretty secretive group of people, um, and we don't yeah. really tend to trust folks outside, uh, especially with what writers want to know about the goings-on of departments. Do you have mm -hmm. any, any specific advice um, that you would give an aspiring author about cultivating that type of relationship? I would try to um, get them involved in the Citizens Police Academy. Yes. That is really the place. That's absolutely the best place to go. Um, where you can, and again, try to do it with the agency that you are actually writing about so you can learn mm -hmm. hands-on. And, and the Citizens Police Academies are great. Many agencies have them around the country. They're quite common nowadays, and they're wonderful. And, um, but again, you can't be like a convicted felon and go through those. Um, they will yeah. do a background check. And, yes. um, but otherwise, you know, I really, those are the kind of things and then what happens is once you get involved in stuff like that, then you can befriend police. And 
you know, the ones who are teaching you or you can get referrals to, because you're right. It's like props are, we're like the worst curmudgeons in the world. It's very hard to yes. get to know us. Um, mm -hmm. Who's, whose books do you read for fun and who are your favorite fictional detectives? Okay. Um, well, there's, there's quite a few. One of the, the first ones um, that really got me excited about writing a police detective series actually was Michael Connolly. Mm -hmm. um, even when I was on the job, Harry Bosch. I mean, it's yes. just awesome. What, what can you say, right? Um, yes. And he really impressed me because he's not a police professional, but he really got all the facts right with his background mm -hmm. reporting. And, you know, he spent so much time in the LAPD with, well, I shouldn't say in it, but working with, yes. you know, detectives and then cultivating sources there as a reporter. Um, he really gets it right. And um, as a matter of fact, reading his book were what, what made me think, you know, I wanted to give people that same feeling of that they're actually there walking the halls of the department, but in Phoenix. Yes. You know, and mm -hmm. so that's, I, I kind of strive for that feeling of like, you know, because you feel like you can follow Harry Bosch through the cubicles and understand it, you know, so I give that level of detail and try to make you really feel like you are right there. And it is authentic to the Phoenix Police Department to that degree. And um, only, it's, but I wanted to be different, you know, and I am, my voice and style are, are really different and my character is different. It's like, uh, okay, so if Harry Bosch were female and a bit younger and Latina, what would it be like? Okay, and in Phoenix, okay, there you go. <laughs> you know, you know, because I, I'm me. I'm not. I'm not Michael Connelly. But, but that was, you know, that, that was one thing. Um, another, another author I love to read is uh, J. A. Jam. I love to read her yes. specifically her Joanna Brady series. Mm -hmm really speaks to me. It's set in Arizona, not in Phoenix, but it's set in Arizona. You know, that involves a, a sheriff's department, so not a police department. But um, another one who's, you know, she was not in law enforcement, but she really gets her facts straight and does the research and her police procedural details are really good. And her arrest procedure information and stuff is really good. And um, she's very prolific, and I, I love reading her stuff. And, and I, would, I would recommend her also to anyone who likes to read police detective stories as well. Yeah, I think she's going to be at, uh, I think, at the Poisoned Pen sometime soon. I think yes, I saw. Um, yeah, I think it's coming up. Uh, well, actually, yeah, I think, it's, I think it is coming right up. I'm sure it's on her, on her website. Yeah, but um, I actually did a joint appearance with her. The oh, two great. of us did a joint appearance just outside of Tucson um, this past Tuesday. We appeared together oh. on stage, and it was wonderful. Yeah, it was great. It was really fun. So now keeping that last answer in mind, I, I, I run everybody through this gauntlet. So, you know, um, okay. keeping that last answer in mind, God forbid it should mm -hmm. happen, Isabella, Captain. But if you were to wake up tomorrow and find yourself murdered, who would you want mm -hmm. to investigate your fictional homicide? Ah, you mean what, what fictional detective should yes. investigate my fictional homicide? Yes. Wow, that's tough. Um, the, I mean, the cool thing about fictional detectives is they always ultimately get their man <laughs> or yes. woman. Mm -hmm. so, so it's almost like I can't go wrong as far as I know that ultimately the, uh, the case will be solved. 
that's a good one. Um, let's see. Well, if anybody gets the best of me, I guess I'd probably want them to face Harry Bosch. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's a, a recurring favorite among uh among yeah. writers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Where uh, where can your fans connect with you? Um, pick up your latest release, Death Blow. Maybe follow your writing and author newsletter, anything like that. Oh yeah, absolutely. As a matter of fact, um, if anyone can go to my website at www.isabellamaldonado.com, and if you sign up for my newsletter. Um, you can qualify for a drawing. I'm going to do a giveaway of uh, a book. I'll be doing a, a, a drawing for, for two winners for um, a copy of Death Blow, my latest. So anyone who goes and signs up for my newsletter, you can absolutely uh, get in the drawing, and hopefully you'll be able to get a copy of the book, and, and hopefully you'll enjoy it. Fantastic. I'll make sure and put that on the uh on the, the, the page when we get this published too. Um, I greatly appreciate your, your time and uh, sharing your expertise with us. It's been an absolute pleasure. You've been listening to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters, a copyrighted broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and this episode's guest has been retired police captain and critically acclaimed author Isabella Maldonado. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Be safe out there.